Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 23. Remember as always that if you have questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, send them to michael at scientifictriathlon.com or send them through the Facebook Messenger widget on scientifictriathlon.com. Before we get into today's questions, a big thanks to Roka for sponsoring this episode. Roka are the world leaders in wetsuits, trisuits, and other triathlon and swim apparel. But today I want to point out that they are really a leader in the market of performance eyewear as well, which is something that I think a lot of people uh, don't really think about and, and not uh, don't know Roka as much for as they do for wetsuits, for example. But uh, the performance eyewear line of Roka is really, really standout. Their sunglasses never fall off your face. They have patented Geeko Fit technology to make sure of that. So even if you stand and you try to, as much as you can, shake them off, they, they will stay on your face. It's really quite fun to to show off like that. Naturally, the optical quality is uh, superb. Roka has their own uh, C3 advanced optics uh, technology that uh, makes sure of that. And uh, above all, all of their sunglasses are extremely comfortable. I keep forgetting that I wear them, whether we're talking about their their advanced performance uh, sunglasses for, uh, for cycling and triathlon or uh, the aviators that I use in training sometimes, but more so in casual uh, day-to-day streetwear. In the US, Roka also has uh, home try-on options available for all uh, performance eyewear, and they also have prescription glasses uh, with all the same things that we just talked about, like lightweight, no pressure points, and won't fall off your face. So plenty of options to choose from when it comes to, to eyewear, whether it's sunglasses for cycling and running, or whether it's prescription glasses, Roka has uh, has a lot. So check them out on roka.com. And remember that you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code Show, all one word, all caps. All right, so the first question for today is from Jesse White from Montreal, Canada. Jesse writes, hello, Michael, I love your podcast. And I've got a question with regard to the dreaded FTP test. I've done several variations, two times eight minutes in Trainer Road and also the Trainer Road graded ramp test. And they've gotten into my head. The last two tests have not gone well. I was mentally out of it before I even started. Any ideas on how to go about switching my mindset? Thanks. Thank you, Jesse. That's a really great question. When one, I think that uh, that applies to a lot of people. Like you're rest assured that you're not the only one who who feel sort of performance anxiety when it comes to FTP tests and other other benchmarking tests. Uh, I do as well. I, I remember there was a time when I uh, tried to do benchmark tests like an FTP test and a 20-minute run test every four weeks. And that just ended up getting to me. It was definitely not a, a good a good thing for me, not a good way to train because I ended up uh, being so anxious to perform in those in those tests that that I think it took too much of my mental energy that I should have saved for important uh, workouts, but uh, primarily for, for racing. Uh, so that was a lesson that I learned and now I definitely don't test as much. So, and I'll talk about frequency of testing uh, a bit uh, in a, just a little bit. So that's that's one thing that I think you should have a look at. But uh, first of all, I think in terms of mindset, that is probably the most important thing, like how you frame the tests in your mind. 
And uh, for that, well, first of all, uh, and I think I mentioned it before, but I keep making the mistake of calling these things tests, but I don't think that the word test is actually uh, good at all, even though I am as guilty as anybody of, of still using it. Uh, but the way to really think about it uh, on a deeper level is more so as an assessment and, uh, and not an assessment of how good you are in, in air quotes, they're good, but uh, really it's an assessment of how you should be training for the next one, two, three, four, however many month, months you have to until your next test. So, so that's what you're trying to find out. It's not about you, your performance, your ability. It's about your training going forward. That's what you're testing. Uh, so, so have that as your mindset and the the, uh, the frame framing of the test, and that will help you immediately get some pressure off yourself and and feel a little bit less anxious. I think. So, and and how? Why, why is this? Why why should we consider the tests in in this light? And I guess the first thing is that well, you can set the right training zones when you have an up to date assessment of your current ability. And, and that's, of course, going to be very important that you train in the right training zones. And the second thing and uh, possibly more important thing is that, let's say, for example, that your assessment shows a similar result uh, as last time, similar average power, for example. That can inform the type of training that you should be doing in your next training block. So maybe you need to do something differently if you had expected to improve your power and you did not then that's just, uh, it's not a failure. It's just showing you that, okay, I tried something and uh, I didn't improve the way I expected. So now I know that I have uh, tried that method. Let's try another method. What might be the other thing that I can do that uh, can improve my power in this next training phase? So it's not about proving to yourself or proving to anybody else, least of all, that you are of a certain ability level or anything like that and and it's not even about proving that your training has been working because we we cannot know beforehand that training is going to be working we can get better and better and better at making educated guesses but we can never know until we have actually done the training so it's about exploring and about discovering how your training has been working and then making smart decisions based on that so let's say that you have that uh, like a neutral performance development, so zero improvement in power from one test to the next. That can still be framed as a good outcome of the test because now you know that you need to change something. So uh, so that and that perhaps that can even now you can even limit down the options that you have because you did a certain type of training and uh, maybe you know that okay well maybe that's not the thing that i need to train right now to improve my my ftp or maybe i maybe i actually executed my training wrong maybe it wasn't uh, the pl the plan that was incorrect but maybe if i'm honest with myself did i actually execute the training the right way did i did i go at the right intensities that were actually prescribed like easy when it's easy hard when it's hard and did i do it in an accurate enough way so so there are plenty of things to take away but but even if you don't have a positive performance development in terms of power improvements from one test to the next you can still frame that as a good outcome of the test and that's the way you should frame frame it actually so personally for example when i do tests i know that it's going to be very very tough and that i'm going to need to push myself very very deep so what i think in those moments in the actual testing uh, when i when i doing when when i'm doing the test is uh, 
I don't care what the numbers are. And uh, many times I'm actually not even looking at them, uh, probably. Like I might glance at them every once in a while, but, but I have no idea really uh, what my what my average power might be. I, I only look after the test. Uh, but so, so I think that I don't care what the numbers are. I only care that I give 100% every single second, focusing on that process. Because if I do, if I give 100% every single second, then by the time that I'm done with this, uh, with this horrible test, then the information that I gain will be extremely valuable and actionable for how I plan my training going forward. So I have that as the carrot in front of me and the reward uh, at the end of the test that if I know by the end of the test that I gave it my 100%, the numbers don't matter. What matters is that if I gave it my 100%, then that information is valuable and it's going to be valuable and actionable and it's going to help me plan my next training block and make it more effective and but but if i check out if i if i'm disappointed by what my numbers seem to be showing and i don't give 100% anymore then i'm not going to be able to use that information so so that's uh, that's one uh, i guess way that you can you can use self talk during the test as well to uh, to be more positive and and have a process mindset about it the other thing that i mentioned earlier is uh, about the frequency of your testing so some athletes actually might thrive on doing a test every four weeks. But for other athletes that, uh, and I include myself in this category, that would drive me to clinical anxiety for sure. And uh, and of course, that's not a good thing. So So if you have been following a program or maybe you have just been coaching yourself and doing tests, something like every four weeks or even every six weeks is quite frequent testing, but you're not somebody who who fries on testing, then that's probably not a good match. And and I want to really encourage you that you do not, you do absolutely not need to test that often. Uh, it's uh, I think that for athletes that don't particularly enjoy testing, uh, even at those athletes that are quite neutral to testing, like neither uh, absolutely for testing often nor absolutely against testing very often. Testing every twelve weeks or so is more than enough. Uh, although this is uh, this is a big generalization. Generalization. There are a lot of things that that might move this number down or up. Uh, but uh, but I think that for many, twelve weeks is is quite frequent enough. Really, uh, you might find that if you've been testing too often, like let's say you have been testing every four or every six weeks, that just by reducing that frequency, uh, that that might be enough that you you get rid of some of that anxiety that you always have a test looming and that will make you then perform better in the test when you when you can just forget about it for 10 weeks and then oh now i'm approaching a test but you don't have that oh feeling constantly that you might have if if they are constantly on the horizon and you need to constantly feel that you're improving in training because otherwise your next test is not going to show an improvement and that's uh, going to be a negative you're going to maybe have a negative reaction to that so so that's another thing that i would consider with this uh, frequency or i guess lesser frequency if you test every 12 weeks it really though places the onus on you as an athlete to be in tune with your body and also learn to use rpe in training because you will need to make small you you won't want to train at the exact same power output for a given workout throughout those 12 weeks you will need to use rpe and and be in tune with what does 
an endurance workout for me feel like? What does a threshold workout feel like? What, what does my threshold actually feel like? And then when when you give yourself a four times 10 minutes at threshold, you actually go and do that four times 10 minutes at threshold. And maybe when you do it week one of that 12-week block, you do it at 200 watts. But then six weeks down the line, you actually feel that 200 watts feels quite easy and you try to increase the power a little bit and feel... Well, 210, 215 watts, this is actually where I feel that same feeling that I had a few weeks ago when I did the threshold workout. But I'm just going to keep keep at it because obviously I improved and I feel that uh, my effort is, is at the same level as it was before. So so I think that uh, that is something that is quite important when you have longer intervals between testing, which is why for some beginners it might be useful to test a bit more often because they haven't yet developed that feel for how to train based on RPE. Uh, but uh, yeah, but in general, I, I'm very much for testing less frequently and also, but, but that requires that you actually learn how to use RPE in training and do use it in combination with power and heart rate, of course, not, not solely. That's, that's not the idea here. But you need to use that as one of the inputs and adjust your power accordingly if you feel that that is what's needed. And in your race season, by the way, you might not test at all. Your races are your tests and and you don't really need to change your training levels that much. But again, uh, this does require you to have have a sense of your effort and be able to use RPE in training. Finally, one final thought that I had is that you might just struggle with those tests because they are very intense and very short. Both of those tests that you mentioned, the 2 times 8 minutes and the ramp test, Maybe that just doesn't suit you very well. So an alternative for you might be to, well, you could do the classic 20-minute test and try that. That might be slightly better for you. But you could also consider instead to just have a guess. What what do you think that your FTP is? And then simply choose a time between 40 and 60 minutes. So you might do 40 minutes the first time you do this kind of test. And see if take that, that FTP that you that your guess is that you sort of you want to be at and uh, and then you try to see if you can hold that that power number for 40 minutes and that will definitely be very difficult after a while and just as uncomfortable as those other tests but in those first 10 minutes or so it shouldn't feel too bad so so you get a bit more time to build into the effort and perhaps that can take some of the edge off uh, of those tests and and help you because this is something that's quite individual. For somebody, it might be way worse to do a test like this, uh, a, I guess a truer FTP test with more of a longer sustained time trial. But you might be somebody that uh, enjoys that more than, than you enjoy those shorter tests. Uh, I, I know like... I don't mind doing a ramp test. For some reason, I think that that's quite easy on the mind. But the two times eight minutes, that's just a test that I absolutely hate. I would never want to do that. I would much rather do a, a, the, uh, the hour of power and, and do a one hour test uh, right away. So Jesse, I hope that this answers your question. And uh, I wish you good luck. And I hope that you can find a way to, uh, to win that mental battle over those FTP tests. The next question and the final question for today is from Marcus in Wales. Uh, he writes, uh, hi, Michael, when you compete in multiple events, uh, five in one season, as part of a series where points are awarded for podiums in the various categories to be left with winners, 
how does an athlete keep operating at a sufficiently high level to be able to compete at their optimum race pace for all five of those sprint and standard distance races? And how do you ensure that you can sprint, uh, quote-unquote, in the sprints and still have that little bit more endurance to be able to smash the standard distance events? All the best, Marcus. Thank you, Marcus, for your question. Uh, this is a really good one uh, and very important and uh, pertinent as we're now heading into spring and race season is not no longer that far far away from from most of us. So so it's uh, really timely. I think it's important first of all to realize that the majority of your fitness improvements will happen during winter and spring. So in the base phase or the preparation for race season, rather than in the race season itself. Uh, that's not to say that you can't improve fitness over the course of the race season. You can, it, but it's going to be more limited than the fitness improvements that you made over winter and spring. So uh, be very purposeful and ambitious in uh, your training right now uh, during winter and spring. That would be my first tip. And uh, second, the main thing when you are in the thick of the racing season that uh, this is like the the cake of my answer, so to say, and uh, the next things are going to be more of the icing on the cake. Uh, but this is that uh, you want to keep consistency. And with consistency here, I mean uh, frequency of training. Uh, that is, uh, I guess, the primary thing here, really, because you will have to modulate your training a bit the days leading into a race will be lower volume, absolutely. And after races, you will have uh, days, a few days where you limit intensity. Uh, but throughout all of this, you can keep up that frequency. And also you want to have, with consistency, we are also talking about workload. So the total workload. So where we consider the volume of training and the intensity of training. That is going to be slightly more variable for the reasons that I just mentioned. But but you want it to be fairly consistent still, like and that is absolutely possible to do with five races over a racing season. Uh, so uh, it might be slightly lower than it was in uh, in the base phase or your winter and spring training, and that's fine. Uh, but it might also be higher. That really depends on your individual circumstances. Like uh, when the weather is nicer in uh, the racing season, can you do longer? Uh, workouts on the weekends for example then that might mean that your workload is going to be higher than it was in in spring for somebody like myself uh, i train a lot right now hopefully from tomorrow i'll actually be healthy enough to be training again because now i'm at day 11 of no training but now i today i finally feel that i'm getting healthy so so tomorrow i might do some uh, just an easy spin uh, but uh, anyway for somebody like myself i train 20 hours per week or so usually uh, that might mean for me that in racing season i'm going to have a slightly lower workload than that i have during the winter winter and spring part of training the winter part really because spring is our racing season already uh, but uh, but if you are somebody who trains more like eight or nine hours in the winter then maybe because you're busy and uh, the days are are dark and short uh, then that might mean that actually you can have a higher workload in the racing season in summer either way uh, the point that i'm making is that uh, the workload that you that you have uh, can be quite consistent throughout that that period with those modulations in the days leading into your race and and also modulating the intensity primarily after races uh, so uh, so keep that consistent workload 
don't go fall too low and don't uh, when you're recovering from a race for example or when you're tapering for a race uh, and and don't go too high in those weeks in between because that will then force you to have to take more do more uh, stronger taper i guess to be able to be fresh so so if you are quite consistent in your workload then that's going to be the the key thing for you and uh, with that like the intensity as i said that's going to be you need to put those more intense or sorry uh, the volume was what i was going to touch upon first uh, the lowest volume is going to be the week leading into a race so so keep that in mind and intensity the lowest intensity is going to be the week coming out of a race so recovering from a race uh, so so you need to modulate those two variables but you can do that and then you can you you can sort of and i'm not talking about you you don't need to go and calculate tss and match those exactly although that is a good tool to sort of get an id uh, but uh, but it's the the thinking the process thinking here that, that i want to get at more so than than using any sort of quantification here uh, so i guess what i'm trying to say i'm rambling a bit now but uh, but you can have a week that is like when you come out of a race a high volume week but you limit intensity in it then the the next couple of weeks you don't have any races you do as a fairly high volume but you also include uh, intensity as uh, as normal i guess so so a normal amount of intensity and and then perhaps the fourth week would be the race week for the next race in the series so then you would keep some intensity you would keep a training frequency but you would lower the the overall training volume to make sure that you can freshen up and, and you wouldn't make those intense workouts quite as taxing either as they might have been the uh, the previous two weeks so maintaining that workload that consistency of workload and i hope that this makes sense uh, my third uh, advice really is something that I've mentioned quite a bit already, but but I want to point it out here especially. Realize that those races that you do, that they are large doses of intensity, especially Olympic distance races. It's two hours of intensity. Uh, so in the week after a race, I would definitely try to keep up the, the training frequency and, uh, and you can use them as what i would do is to use them as endurance weeks so so keep a high volume in that week after the race but mostly an easy intensity and uh, especially so if you are more of an intermediate or intermediate plus or advanced triathlete this is definitely what i would advise that you do but the mistake to avoid here which is something that that a lot of athletes would fall into is to try to cram in too much intensity in training too quickly and getting straight back to the normal uh, track tuesday uh, threshold thursday on the bike and then a hard uh, saturday drop ride and then a, a long run on sunday with some with some race intensity perhaps something like that don't fall into that trap don't try to get back into too much intensity too soon after the race so so be confident that you got a big dose of of intensity in that race and if you can adapt to that very well then you will get that uh, super compensation effect but if you end up stacking on too much intensity you're going to have too much and you won't be able to to adapt to that okay so fourth uh, depending on how far apart those races are and depending on like for example the last race you may definitely want to do a bit of a more traditional taper for uh, and uh, for the others i guess it's going to be depending on 
on how they fall in relation to each other but tapering is not the be all and all it's it can be make a, a bit of a difference but and you need to modulate things as mentioned but you don't necessarily need to think too much about the taper as uh, the main focus here the main focus really is maintaining that workload and maintaining uh, but but while still allowing you to to rest up for those races and get rid yourself of fatigue but for those races that you do perhaps want to taper for so that might be for example potentially the the first and last race of the series might uh, you might do some tapering for them and that might fit well with your schedule so uh, in short, I have a big episode, uh, episode 119, called Tapering and Peaking in Triathlon, The Art and the Science, and I'll link to that in the episode description. But in short, what you want to do is to reduce volume, maintain frequency, and maintain intensity, but do the intensity as less taxing. You shouldn't come away from a workout feeling that, wow, I gave it my all today. No, 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 you should feel that you had a lot left in the tank. So as an example of this, for on the run, for example, well, whether it's on the run or bike or swim, I like zone four or threshold type of work for taper workouts. They're hard enough that uh, it's going to be keeping your high end sharp, but uh, it's easy enough to recover from and that uh, it's not going to take too much out of you. So a perfect example on the run would be to do four or five times four minutes at your threshold pace on four minutes of recovery. So a one-to-one work-to-rest ratio there. So that that will, of course, be a fairly easy workout for you that you will feel after that. Well, you could have done that main set at least one or two more times. Uh, so, uh, but, but you're still going to keep that, uh, that sharpness. And that's the whole idea of intensity in the tapering. Uh, but I guess uh, keep in mind as well here that you're not really trying to peak for any single race. You want to be performance ready for all of those races and you definitely do not want to go into the races fatigued. But uh, but you don't need to think too much in terms of traditional tapering terms because those uh, those thought processes were developed really with the the goal of one single very important race day. So it might be the Olympics or the World Championships or something like that. Uh, so some of these concepts definitely still apply like in your weeks leading into the race, reducing volume, maintaining frequency, maintaining intensity. It all still applies. But I think that uh, you don't need to consider it a taper as such as much as a race week. So... Again, keep that consistent workload, but modulate for races so that you are not fatigued and so that you're ready to perform. And as a bit of a teaser, uh, in episode 172, I have an interview with Joel Filial, who is the coach of Mario Mola, Cadiz Fieris, and Vincent Louis, and uh, many others are the best of the best in the world. Uh, so uh, so the, that's uh, he's obviously one of the, the best, if not the best, coach in the history of, of ITU triathlon. And we talk a little bit about peaking in that episode and, and what Joel says is more or less what, what I've been talking about here as well, more so maintaining consistency throughout the season rather than peaking for, for a single event as, as such. So so stay tuned for that one as well. By the way, that interview is, in my opinion, by far the best that I've ever done. And it's not because of me, because I mostly shut up and uh, Joel uh, took the stage. Uh, but you definitely have to make sure that you don't miss it. Uh, subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already to make sure that you get it because I, I'm still pumped up about that interview and I did it a couple of weeks ago, if not yeah, two or three weeks ago, I think. So so that, that was really great and it will be out in, in just a, a couple of weeks by the time that you hear this. A couple of examples, I guess. 
before we wrap up here, let's say that you have a race, uh, one race here that is an Olympic race, and then you have four weeks between that Olympic uh, until your next race, which might be a sprint. Well, then what I would do is to, that first week after the Olympic, you would, so first of all, leading into the Olympic, as mentioned, make sure that you go into it not fatigued. So you would reduce volume primarily. Uh, in the week leading up to the race but maintain some intensity and maintain frequency then the week after the olympic you might you might take a day that is uh, just a recovery swim or even a complete rest day uh, and but then after that i would get back into endurance training so so try to accumulate quite a bit of volume at zone two intensity so, so just to maintain work w- workload but do it at uh, without having too much intensity on the Friday of that week after the Olympic race, you might already do your first intense swim. So you might have a hard threshold swim. And then you might do a, a hard bike on the Saturday and a hard run on the Sunday. And so sort of during that weekend, that's when you can get back into into intensity again. So so you've had a good four, four or five days to, to recover from the Olympic and, and not do any intensity. Then the next couple of weeks, you would do more or less as normal weeks. So do some intensity and uh, do a fair amount of volume. I've talked uh, quite a few times about it that uh, it's easy to overestimate the the importance of intensity and underestimate the importance of volume. Uh, so so when I say maintain a normal amount of intensity, it doesn't mean that you need to go out and do two track workouts per week. Uh, I think that uh, something that, especially if you have a high enough volume, something that works really well is to do uh, two hard swims and one or two hard bikes and and one hard run per week but this assumes that you that you do quite a lot of training already so you might do four workouts in each in each discipline per week Uh, otherwise you might need to adjust that but but don't definitely don't don't err on the side of doing too much intensity especially not in race season because again remember what i said that uh, those races themselves are big doses of intensity so you want to also use them as training and adapt from them and you can't do that if you end up uh, stacking on too much total intensity so this is of course going to be a bit individual but uh, but i i'm sure that you can find something that uh, that works for you here for these next two weeks uh, so, something that that i might do would would be to to do a swim a hard swim on uh, the first day and the tuesday and i might do a hard bike on the wednesday and the saturday and i might do a hard run on the first day and uh, the rest of my days would be endurance days and that would also mean that uh, that i would have three days of uh, low intensity only so no no intense workouts and those would be the monday and the friday and the sunday so so that gives you an example uh, that uh, template that you you can follow if you if you want to try that then the last week leading into the sprint, you would uh, reduce volume quite a lot. So let's say that you're training 15 hours uh, per week usually, then you might reduce that down to uh, perhaps eight hours or something uh, leading up to the sprint race. And this is very individual and the best way to do really is to look back at your history of training and racing and see what you've done when you've performed really well uh, because this varies a lot. Like some, some people, they might do... a much smaller decrease in volume and some might perhaps need even more of a decrease so so again look back at your own training and racing data to to find out what works best for you then after that sprint 
again go into let's say in this example that you have two weeks until your next olympic uh, then definitely what i would do is to again go back into that endurance type of week because you just had a um, a lower volume week which we could consider an easier week a recovery week if you want to call it that so so we don't want to have another easy week we want to have a, a week that it's going to allow us to have some adaptations or at least maintenance of fitness so but at the same time we just did a race so we don't want to stack too much intensity on that so the solution there is to go back into that endurance week with a fairly high volume and now you definitely can train already on monday because it was only a sprint that you did on sunday maybe you even uh, did an easy two-hour bike ride after the sprint race to to get the endurance volume in uh, anyway on friday you might be back with uh, with that same hard swim that you that we just discussed and saturday and sunday you can do a hard bike and a hard run and then you go into race week again and uh, you might even because you might be a bit fresher now because you you only had one week in the current training block behind you so to say compared to three weeks the the previous time depending on how you feel you might extend that training block until the tuesday of race week and only uh, after tuesday do you start to to reduce volume this all depends on on how you feel and and what your experience has been in the past etc but but the point here being that at some point whether it's on monday or tuesday or wednesday you're going to start to get into that uh, race week mode and reduce volume but still maintain free maintaining frequency and maintaining some intensity some of those easy non-taxing zone four workouts that i that i mentioned for example and uh, before heading into your olympic distance race and uh, so that's that's about it and as for your questions on uh, your question on sprints versus olympics in terms of training and maintaining endurance for olympics but speed for sprints i guess do not worry about that there isn't really any difference between training for your fastest sprint and your fastest olympic distance race look at the elite triathletes uh, again like they they jump from sprint to olympic sprint to olympic and their training i promise you it doesn't really change that much uh, just because they're going from sprint to olympic distance race i mean they're even going to super league nowadays which is super short and fast racing but they don't really uh, and i know this from listening to a lot of interviews with them and and uh, talking with some of their coaches that they're not really changing their training specifically for super league they might only do some transition practices specifically but they're not changing the intensity like doing super short and hard intervals just for that their their training is going to prepare them for an olympic for a sprint and for a super league race just the same so uh, the really hard and fast intervals that you might do they can be beneficial for both just as beneficial for olympics as for sprints and the longer endurance workouts the four-hour rides they are also going to be just as beneficial for an olympic race as for a sprint distance race the optimal engine uh, for for a sprint distance triathlete it looks more or less exactly the same as the optimal engine for an olympic distance triathlete so you don't need to worry about that at all so that about wraps it up for this episode. I'll link in the episode description to uh, the resources that I mentioned. So the tapering and peaking in triathlon episode, episode 119. And uh, oh yeah, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss episode 172 with Joel Filial. Uh, because I really want everybody to listen to that episode. And one more house cleaning item that I want to, to mention. I just recently did an interview on the Humans of Triathlon podcast. 
So if you want to learn more about my personal triathlon story, which uh, is a bit of a roller coaster, and some of the lessons that I learned from that uh, over time, then definitely check that out. So the podcast name is Humans of Triathlon. And uh, it the interview was released on the 25th of February. So on 2019, depending on when you listen to, to this. So you can find it uh, find it there. And I'll also link to that in the episode description. We also talk a bit about coaching there, so you can hear more about my views on coaching, uh, as well as uh, some of the most important training tips that I could give to any age grouper, regardless of ability level. So that's a bit of a teaser for you and an incentive to go and listen to, to that episode, I guess. Big thanks to Roka for sponsoring that triathlon show. Roka are the world leaders in wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. Go and check them out on roka.com. And remember that you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code Show, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.